All right, so this morning's message, Standing Firm in Suffering. And as we go on through the passage, I mean, it's going to become apparent what I mean, um, or what, what this means, standing firm in suffering. Um, but by now, you should be familiar, it should, it should be apparent to you that Peter has pretty much been addressing this letter to uh, primarily to Christians who were suffering, who were de- in desperate circumstances. Um, and what they were going through, they were going through a lot of stuff. They were going through um, uh, undeserved suffering, unfair treatment, and unexpected calamities. For the most part, he's been directing these suffering believers towards the hope that God has a purpose for these periods of pain, that there is hope in hurtful times. This morning, as we finish chapter 4, Peter will be summarizing that theme once again with some final remarks about it. If you guys, again, remember last week when we ended, he gave a doxology. It sounded like he was done with the topic, but here... He says, well, you know, hold up a minute. Let me just mention these last few words about suffering um, before I finish. And that's what we're going to be seeing here. Jesus made it clear by his life and words that following him would not always be a walk through a rose garden. It's not going to be a walk on a nice, beautiful spring day. In fact, he said in Luke 21.17 that you will be hated by everyone because of my name. Now, uh, for, for, for some of you, it may, you may, it may be more frequent. These sufferings, these calamities, these hardships may be more frequent or intense than others. And it may even seem unfair. It may seem wrong to you. However, keep in mind that God always has a purpose for every trial, every hardship, every difficulty that you go through. There's a purpose behind it. Don't waver, because as you stand firm in suffering, His purpose will be revealed. Anyone who thinks they can avoid suffering, the New Testament makes it clear that as a born-again Christian, you are going to suffer. You are going to go through it. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. You will eventually suffer suffer for simply believing in Jesus. It's inevitable. If it's not from the enemies of Christ in this world, it will be from the devil and his minions. So for those of you who at this very moment are in a spiritual, mental or physical furnace, similar to the one Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in, or you may find yourself in one one day, I hope this morning's message brings you comfort and helps to strengthen and encourage you while you're in the midst of it. If you remember there in Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that blazing furnace, there was a fourth person in there with them. I believe that this fourth person was none other than Jesus Christ himself. So, if he was in there with them for remaining faithful, I have no doubt he's there, he will be there, and he's there right now with you as you remain faithful, as you stand firm in suffering. 
So before I get into the word, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Um, thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. I hope that you bless them, that you open their hearts and minds, Lord, that you soften them so that they can receive your word right now, Lord. I ask that you keep any distractions away, Lord, um, and that you use me to speak your truth, Lord, to speak your word. Take any selfishness, anything, any pride, take that out of the way, Lord. And let me just humbly speak whatever it is that you want to share, Lord, through this message. Or fill this room with your Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be, we left off in verse 11, so we're going to be continuing on, continue on in verse 12. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. There, the Word of God says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let, it, let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. A. Parnell Bailey, an orange grove, or he visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down. The season was unusually dry and some of the trees were beginning to die for the lack of water. The man giving the tour gave Bailey to his own orchard where irrigation was used sparingly. These trees can go without rain for another two weeks, he said. You see, when they were young, I frequently kept them, kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search for moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area while others are being scorched by the sun. These are finding moisture in greater depths. Some of you may be finding yourselves in need, in desperate need of spiritual nourishment because of the scorching sun of trials, setbacks, and persecutions. You've probably prayed during those times or have recently prayed that, Lord, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I've been going to church. You know, I give. I volunteer my time. Why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? 
those of us that have gone through similar hardships understand what you're going through. And we've survived because our rooted faith kept digging deeper for the nourishment we knew was there. We had faith. We knew that it was there. And we never gave up. And when we found it, when we found that nourishment, not only did it revitalize us, but it also strengthened us to withstand the same heat when it came again. So because he himself, because Peter himself was familiar with suffering and what it eventually produces, in this last paragraph of chapter 4, Peter gives us practical insights to help us survive the fiery flames and thrive while we're in them. He begins by reminding his readers, his dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, presumably, the early church, the early Christians were not generally surprised by opposition to the gospel. They knew that when they shared Jesus, people were going to walk away and call him crazy. But they weren't prepared. They were caught off guard by the negative results that resulted from it. So what Peter is doing here is is exhorting these Christians, his Christian readers, to avoid being surprised by those hardships, but rather consider it as a normal Christian experience. You see, we have no right to expect better treatment from the world than our Savior received. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said this, All, all who want to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. Now the word fiery ordeal means a burning fire. But Peter may have in mind the word used in Proverbs 27, 21. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold. So in this, in this sense, the word could be translated refining fire and, and was similar to what he had said in chapter 1, verse 7. This image of a refiner's fire suggests that such suffering, when you're going through that suffering, it purifies and it strengthens you. It strengthens Christians. That's what it's meant to do. Peter's intent with this verse is to encourage us to see God's good purpose behind our difficulties because they're meant to enable us to grow stronger in our faith. Also, when we suffer unjustly, we participate to a limited degree the kind of suffering Christ experienced on our behalf. So if he suffered, so will we. However, on the other side of that suffering coin, Peter tells us there's something more valuable that ought to make us rejoice. In verse 13, we're told about our privilege of sharing in the suffering of Christ one day soon. And I believe it's going to happen real soon. When his glory is revealed, 
Jesus will bring with him relief, comfort, and rewards for those who suffered faithfully in this life. By focusing on that firm hope for the future, it'll help us. It ought to help you live with joy in the present in spite of all those fiery ordeals that you're going through, in spite of what you're experiencing, in spite of the fact that maybe you, you missed that promotion just because you were a Christian, just because the boss knew that he can party with that guy and he's, you're not one to, to party. You're not one to go out and, and do extracurricular activities after work. It could be also a number of reasons, you know, being made fun of at school just because you say you're a Christian. He's, or maybe the teacher's picking on you because the teacher knows you're a Christian and doesn't like it, and now the teacher's on, on your back about everything. Again, when we focus, when we fix our eyes on the future hope that awaits us, all that stuff is going to mean nothing. James 1.12 puts it this way. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I look forward to that much. Everything this world throws at me or has thrown at me, all those tears, all that pain, all that suffering, is nothing compared to what awaits when you have this hope in you you won't fear what anyone says or what anyone will do to you you will find comfort in verses like Psalm 56 verses 3 and 4 when I am afraid I will trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I trust I will not be afraid. He then says in verse 14, even if you're ridiculed for being a Christian, you will be blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This here, what he's speaking about here is a reference to the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in the tabernacle And in the temple, that's the same glory that he's speaking of here. And this is the inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter had mentioned, had also mentioned in chapter 1, verse 8. In other words, this is what he's saying. If you are suffering right now, you don't have to wait for heaven in order to experience His glory. Through the Holy Spirit, you can have that glory now. This explains why how martyrs could sing praises to God while bound in the midst of blazing fires and explains how persecuted Christians today can go to prison and to death without complaining or resisting their captors. All over certain parts of the world, at this very moment, 
Christians are dying. They're getting beheaded. They're getting killed. They're getting sold into slavery. All kinds of horrible things are happening to them. And yet, those faithful Christians, the faithful ones, saying, okay, for the glory of God, for the glory of God, we should look to them as examples whenever we're going through similar hardships. Again, they're, they're going through some crazy stuff. I, I hope that we never have to experience that in this country. But I've heard of stories, people getting killed out on the street just because they were Christian. They didn't like, well, they didn't like the gospel being preached to them or a number of reasons just because they're Christians. I know that I'm ready. If I was to walk down the street and someone was to say, do you believe in Christ? And I say, I'm going to say, yeah. If he wants to take me down, he can take me down, but I know where I'm going. I'm going to feel, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm going to have my, my family, my kids in mind, you know, but I honestly believe that I'm going to see them. I'm going to see them one day. For me, it's just going to be really short. The time is going to be really short. It's going to seem like nothing. But I'm ready. I'm not scared. No matter what happens, however, Peter offers a warning in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. He's saying here that as Christians, you should never bring suffering upon yourself for doing bad things. You should never be guilty of murder, stealing, evil in general, or involving yourself in other people's personal matters. There is no glory for God in this, only shame for the testimony of Christ. On the other hand, he says in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in having that name. F.B. Meyer says this is true, whether it means the loss of a business, reputation, a home, desertion by parents, children, and friends, misrepresentation, hatred, or even death. When you confess and praise his name publicly, you are glorifying God. When you suffer for simply being known as a Christian and endure it with joy, you are glorifying God. My point is as a Christian, it's possible to glorify God in all your trials. As a matter of fact, it ought to please you for having that privilege to suffer because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, the religious leaders had unjustly arrested and beaten Peter and his companions. When they were released, it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, that they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. And that name was none other than Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan commented, 
This is more than glorying in the name. It is so living worthily of all. It means as to glorify God. If a man is known as a Christian and does not live as one, he dishonors God. To bear the name is to take a responsibility, a great and glorious one, but nonetheless a very solemn one. Then, in verse 17, Peter contrasts the suffering of God's people in this life with the sufferings of the wicked in eternity. A time has come for judgment to begin in God's household. The time referred to is the current church age, which began at Pentecost and will continue up until the rapture. The house of God refers to the church. So during this church age, during this age that we're living in now, during this age of grace, the church is undergoing judgment by the unbelieving world. As believers of the church, we are experiencing our sufferings right now, just as Jesus did when he was on earth. Given this truth, Peter is asking, what do you think? will be the fate of those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if Christians suffer for doing good now, what will the unsaved, what will the unsaved suffer in eternity for all their good deeds or all their ungodly deeds? What well, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. In another place that it says, it's where the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth are. It's Gehenna, it's hell, where there is no second chances, where there is eternal separation from God. Right now that we're living in this church age, right now that we're living in God's grace, we're able to have a relationship with him. We're able to come to him at any moment, fall on our knees, and ask him to come into our hearts, to forgive us of our sins. But after that, after we breathe our last breath, that's it. There's no more second chances. And I mentioned this last week too, but... Don't let another day go by. You never know. You never know because today is going to be your last day. And will you be ready? Will you be ready to, to meet the Lord? And, to be, and for him to hold you accountable for all that you've done. Again, he knows what's going on in your heart. And it's just a matter of just laying it out to him and saying, forgive me. You know what he's going to do? He's not going to ask you why. Why should I forgive you? He's not going to say, well, you got to do all these things first, and then I'll forgive you. No, he's going to say, okay, I forgive you, my son, my daughter. And that freedom that comes with it, it feels so good. It feels so wonderful. 
it reminds me again I, this may not have anything to do with the story uh, or what I'm sharing here but I was having a discussion yesterday with somebody and I was mentioning that I suffered for many many years severe depression severe depression and the only way for me to cope was by drinking or finding other methods to 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 make me happy or to cover up that depression I couldn't even find happiness in the face of my children I would smile back I would crack jokes but that depression was so severe that I could not see any joy and I lived with that for many many years and I was sharing that when I finally found the source of that pain, when I finally discovered where that pain came from, I surrendered it. I didn't want to live with that anymore. And I surrendered it to God. And I gave my life, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. Does it mean that it's all gone? That depression? No, there are times I, it pops up. But as I mentioned here, I, I remember what Christ did for me. I remember the nails, the nails that were struck through his hands, through his feet, the crown of, the, the crown of thorns, the beatings, being spat upon. I remember, and I'm like, you did that for me, Lord? You did that for me? And it gets me all it gets me every single time. And all that stuff, all that pain, all that suffering, all that depression is nothing. It just it it when I compare it to what Christ did for me, it just it, I wouldn't say it disappears, but it, God replaces it, his joy replaces it. And so that's what I hold on to now, when it starts to creep up, when those feelings start to creep up. That God sees the value in me. God sees me as a precious child. And just, I never really had a good father growing up. And now I do. And you know what's amazing, again, what gets to me is that I'm going to spend eternity with him. Unspeakable joy, unspeakable love. So I don't care what the world will throw at me. I don't care if they mock me for being a Christian. I don't care if they say, hey, you know what, you need to calm down with that. I don't care if I get, if I don't get the promotions. I don't care if I, I just want to please the Lord. You know, again, I was having another discussion with my wife. What if our children one day tells us, hey, you know what, you need to stop that. If you want me to continue having a relationship with you, you need to stop that. Sorry. You know, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But no, I'm not going to stop loving my Lord. No one's more important to me than him.
anyways, I'm sorry, I was kind of going off there and sharing with you some conversations I had, but let me finish off these last two verses. In verse 18, Peter reiterates verse 17 by quoting Proverbs 11.31 in the form of a question. He does this in order to make the point that from a divine standpoint, our salvation was, was purchased at an enormous cost. From a human standpoint, we are told in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, to make every effort to ent- enter through the narrow door. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we're taught that it's necessary through, to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, with all the dangers and with all the temptations that we face on a daily basis, it's only a miracle of divine grace that we're preserved for the heavenly kingdom. Taking care of us. We're saved. We're preserved. Even though all this stuff is thrown at us, he's holding on to us and he's like, no, these are my kids. And they're always going to be with me. That being so, Peter asks, what will become of the godly, the ungodly, and the, and the sinner? So because of the severity of God's judgment, Peter ends with an exhortation for his readers to entrust themselves to God while doing what is good. If it's God's will for us to suffer, then we must, like Jesus, surrender ourselves to the faithful creator. Peter is making the case that when we suffer or when we are suffering, our trust will be exhibited by how, our, how we conduct ourselves, meaning we are to live honorably within our cultural context so that there is no room for anyone to accuse us of sinfulness and rebellion. Question is, or question many will ask is, how do we fully entrust ourselves to God? How do we finally rest in Him? Well, here's the answer. We must mentally deposit ourselves into God's safekeeping. By doing this, not only will it yield peace and joy in this life, but also dividends in the next. Entrusting your soul to God during those trials will mean these three things. It will mean turning over your situation, or it means, yeah, it means turning your situation over to Him in prayer. Lord, this is tough. This is hard going through this. But I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to pray right now and just hand it to you. I can't handle it. It's too much. So I'm giving it to you. Strengthen me. Give me the answers I need. Give me the wisdom that I need. But I'm going to give it to you. It's handing it over to Him in prayer. Secondly, it will mean revealing your struggles to believers you trust so that you so they can help you go through your trials if there's someone here or if there's someone 
that you, another Christian, another brother or sister that you trust, that you can confide in, tell them what's going on. Don't keep it from them. They want to, you know, they want to pray with you. They want to encourage you. They want to give you counsel. They want to share with you God's word, something that they've maybe learned in life. There's a lot of wisdom in this room alone. So much wisdom that I'm sure that if I sat here and talked to you guys for days, I may never have to ever go to school. I might stop, have to watch. I probably wouldn't have had to watch YouTube anymore. <laughs> you know, I won't have to Google anything anymore. But again, it's interesting sharing what you're going through with somebody. Keep it in. It's just going to stay there. It's not going to go anywhere. Thirdly, it also means continuing to entrust your soul to God moment by moment as the fiery trial continues to burn, as it gets hotter and hotter. It's entrusting yourself all the time, every single moment. So again, dear friends, this is me now. When trials come, and they will come, be confident that God is faithful. Stand firm in suffering and rest in him. There is nothing for us to fear if we are suffering in the will of God. Our faithful father, our faithful father creator will victoriously see us through it. Spurgeon summarized this chapter in this way. The whole run of the chapter is that we are to prefer any suffering of the flesh to the sin of the spirit. And we are to be prepared to endure whatever trial or pain may come upon us for Christ's sake and to hear it joyfully rather than to seek the pleasures of sin and to be plunged under the waves of, of the wrath of God. May he give us grace thus to glorify him for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's close with the word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for sending your one and only Son to die for us. We were wretched, wretched sinners that sinners that deserved the full punishment of your wrath. But you've taught us through Jesus that your wrath was now laid upon Jesus in order for our sins to be forgiven, in order for us to become ch your children, for us to have a relationship with you, Lord. And we thank you, God. We thank you so much for that. If it wasn't for you, we'd still be in our sin. We'd be mindless robots in this world trying to figure out what makes us happy. But now we found, tr we found true joy in your Son, in you, Lord, help us during those times of suffering. Show us what it is that we're, you're teaching us through it, Lord. May we see it through your eyes. It can be so easy to try to explain the answer in our, through our own minds, Lord, but remove that. Help us to see all that suffering, all those trials through your eyes. I know many times, Lord, you've shown me that you're just trying to remove junk from my heart. You're just trying to remove all that stuff that's getting in the way. 
between me loving you even even more. And I thank you for that. I, sh I pray that you will reveal that to those who are here that are looking for that, are looking for that answer, Lord. Lord, there may, well, there may be somebody here, there may be others watching or listening online that haven't surrendered, that haven't given up that pain, that hurt, and they want that freedom. They're seeking that freedom. If that's you, let me tell you that you will find it in Jesus Christ. Not in religion. Not in works. Not in anything this world has to offer. Not in music. Not in sports. Not in drugs. It's only found in you. It's only found in Jesus. And if you're ready to surrender, to give your life over to Jesus Christ and, and start anew, become born again and become his child and be forgiven of your sins, if you're ready to do that, bow your head and close your eyes and with all sincerity, pray this from the bottom of your heart. Lord, Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. I've messed up. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I confess those sins to you now, Lord. I believe you sent Jesus Christ, your one and only Son, to die for me, for my sins. And I believe, I confess that he is Lord. Now place my sins upon him so that I may be made clean, so that I may be, all my sins will be wiped away. I have faith in that. I have faith that you've done that. And I receive your forgiveness right now, Lord. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit so that I may know you, understand you more, may I see, th see the world through your eyes so that I may live for you. Thank you for sending Jesus. If you prayed that, well, again, welcome to the family of God. Welcome. The angels are rejoicing right now over another sinner who repented. Let's come to him. Again, bless everyone here, Lord. Bless their upcoming week. Protect them from any harm. Keep them safe. Lord, may you give them opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ. So many lost people out there, Lord. So use us, use them as a tool, as a witness of you and what you've done in their lives. So they can come to know you as well. Pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.